You are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Oren. So without further ado, here he is. That we are defined by, God, how you see us, not how the world sees us. And last week we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The great hope that we have as followers of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we are not walking dead, but we are made alive. We are new because of your grace and your love for us. So God, I pray this morning that you'll clear away the, the barriers for us being able to see you as you are and being able to follow you as you call us to follow you. So I pray your Holy Spirit uh, would win the day today. Your Holy Spirit would reign over our hearts and minds and open us up to you, the good Father, to our Savior, our leader, our master, Jesus, the one we are called to follow and become like. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So Pastor Dave is out of town today, and we're going to be taking a short break from his Sermon on the Mount series. And today I'm kicking off a brand new series uh, that will go all the way to the end of May. And the title of the series is Marvel at the Master. Marvel at the master. And I've been thinking about that word marvel, not the comic book superhero, but rather the verb to marvel. And my friends at dictionary.com helped me out, and their definition is to marvel is to be filled with wonder, admiration, or astonishment at someone who is surprising or extraordinary. And I want you to think with me for a moment, who in this world do you marvel at? Who wows you with what they're able to do? Who brings a sense of awe and wonder to you? Who do you have a great deal of respect and admiration for? Is it a famous person, an athlete, an artist or someone else? Or is it someone close to you, a family member or a friend? Who do you marvel at? And I want to actually invite you to turn to your neighbor for a moment and share with them who is that one person in this world that you marvel at. Just off the top of your head as best you can, and why do you marvel at them? So take a minute and turn to your neighbor.
Okay, I'm going to call you back in. But uh, community group leaders, this might be a good icebreaker question to do at CG uh, this week. I'd love to hear everybody's person that they marvel at, but I'm going to share mine with you. And if you know me well enough, um, you probably know where this is headed. And I try not to talk about this too much during sermons, but um, you can put the slide in. I'm not ashamed to admit, I, I love these two men. Man, growing up as a kid, as a devoted Packer fan, I mean, Brett Favre was the true man as a quarterback. His grittiness, his toughness, and just the gunslinger that he was. And then Aaron Rodgers, this, man, this guy that's in complete control when he steps on the football field and his precision and accuracy. 25 years I've been watching these men play football, and they have marked me deeply. I could go on and on, but I think you guys have had enough already. To marvel. To marvel. Marvel at the master. Marvel at the master. Our master, our leader is Jesus Christ for those of us who follow Jesus. And that is the invitation and the hope for this series is for us to marvel once again at Jesus. I want us to look with fresh eyes and open hearts at Jesus through some of the stories from his own life on this earth and to ask some important questions about how we see Jesus and what that means for our own lives. And I want to zero in on Jesus' character, his personality, and how he lived. This morning, I want to lay a foundation for us for this series with two main pillars that we'll be using throughout as we look at Jesus' life in Scripture. You know, I think about Jesus, you know, I was trying to, this week, just feeling kind of this sense of awe. I'm trying to capture the essence of who Jesus is. There's so many names and aspects of who Jesus is. We have Messiah and Savior and Son of God, second person of the Trinity, the King of Kings, the Good Shepherd, the Bread of Life. And we could go on and on and on. But there's a certain aspect of Jesus that I believe we can easily forget. That's where I want to start this morning and put a spotlight on throughout this series. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from A.W. Tozer, and he was a well-known Chicago pastor and author, and he once wrote, we have almost forgotten that God is a person. We've almost forgotten that God is a personal being. And I want to take that quote and apply it to the life of Jesus, and I really believe we've almost forgotten that Jesus was a human being. We've almost forgotten that Jesus was a real human being. Yes, Jesus is fully God. Hear me right on that. And I think we we grasp that better in our modern theological understanding of Jesus. But he also was fully human. And I believe we can easily lose the realness of Jesus' humanity. We read about Jesus in the Bible and his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can put on a fog over Jesus that we forget he was an actual, real human being. 
you know, growing up, I remember going to the Brookfield Zoo, and there was a certain souvenir that I was attracted to as a kid. And even for our family now, when we go to the zoo, our kids are attracted to the same souvenir. At certain exhibits, they have these machines. I didn't know there was a name for them, Moldorama machines. And they were created by a Chicago family. And Chicago has the most of these machines in the United States. And these machines make these plastic figurines. And it used to be something like 50 cents. I think it's like $2 now, inflation, you know, so... But you put in your money, and then these two arms come together. And as a kid, it felt like magic to me. These two arms come together, and out pops this figurine of a dolphin or a polar bear. And you walk away with this amazing, yet very cheap, souvenir. As, I was, as I've been thinking about Jesus and his humanity... I'm becoming more convinced that when we read these stories about Jesus, we tend to put on this artificial, plastic version of humanity on Jesus. We create a mold of Jesus that pushes his humanity out of the picture. Because we know in the back of our minds he is fully God. So we tend to make Jesus out to be this pseudo-human. And I believe this is a terrible mistake. It creates a barrier for us to truly understand and to know Jesus in greater depth. Because we miss out on his personality, his character, and the goodness and the realness of his, his humanity. Let me give you an example of this from a classic Christmas song that I'm sure many of us are familiar with. Away in the Manger. No crib for his bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The cattle are lowing. The poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And now when I hear that song, that last line just kind of makes me cringe. And it's okay for kids to listen to that song. I'm not saying get rid of it. But if you've ever met a baby who has never cried, please introduce me to their parents. I want to meet these parents and figure out what are they doing to their kid, that their kid never cries. There is nothing within Scripture that would lead me to believe that Jesus did not cry as a baby. Jesus had a real human body like we do. I believe he had to learn to be potty trained. He had to cut his toenails. He perspired and got dirty and had to bathe himself. He ate real food and he got thirsty. He got tired and had to sleep. And scripture is clear that he had emotions like we do. He experienced sorrow and wept. He was surprised by people's doubt. He felt compassion for those who were hurting. He was amazed by people's faith. He experienced incredible agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he suffered real physical pain through his crucifixion. Yes, Jesus was a real human being. 
Let's not make him out to be this plastic, artificial form of humanity. He was a human being, and he was the most incredible human being in history. Even non-religious publications today acknowledge Jesus as the most influential person in the history of our world. And back when Jesus walked this earth, he was the most interesting man around back then too. He caused a stir wherever he went. And people from all different kinds of groups couldn't help but be attracted to him and amazed by him. This morning, I want to show you just three brief examples of people's responses to Jesus. And we'll see how the people of his day marveled at him. My hope is that God would begin to build a fresh sense of awe in us for Jesus and who he is. The first example is from Matthew 8. And Jesus and his disciples are in a boat And his disciples are his closest friends, the guys that would know him the best. Matthew 8, 23, it says, And Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. I want to stop there for a moment. We we finish the story, I think we miss something very important here. The passage says there's an incredibly strong storm, that waves are crashing in to the boat. It has to be awfully loud. And Jesus is not on a cruise ship like we know today. He's in a small little boat that's probably rocking back and forth. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. What? Sleeping? Really, Jesus? How could you be sleeping at a time like this? See, when I used to, when I used to read this, I kind of thought Jesus was fake sleeping here. <laughs> you know, he was trying to pretend to sleep in order to create this awesome teaching moment for his disciples to step in and save the day. But that's not what the text says. It said he was sleeping. The disciples had to wake him up, even though there was a great storm. So if we embrace that Jesus was a real human being, I think the best way to understand this is that Jesus must have been plain exhausted from all the ministry he was doing. He was so tired and so out of it, even the fierce storm couldn't wake him up. I think he was ordaining the holiness of naps for us. Those of you that take naps can go to this text to feel blessed. And it sounds kind of blasphemous to to say this, but maybe Jesus was snoring. Or maybe he was even drooling. He was so out of it. And he had to be woken up. And Jesus wakes up and he says, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and suddenly there was a great calm. Maybe Jesus wanted to go back to his nap. The disciples were amazed and they said, who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. 
You see, in this moment, the disciples encountered the humanity of Jesus, the man who takes a nap during the great storm. And they experienced his divinity as he calms the wind and the waves, and they marvel at him. They were amazed and said, who is this man? Now, who is this God? Who is this man? Jesus was a very real human being to them, and they were stunned. Who is this guy we're hanging out with that even the winds and waves obey him? Who is this? When people marvel at someone, they ask the question, who is this? And it wasn't only his closest friends. Here's another example of a man who was an enemy of Jesus, but he was attracted to Jesus. Uh, King Herod, Luke 9, it says, When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. Man, King Herod's busy ruling his own kingdom, promoting his own agenda and plans, but he keeps hearing hearing reports of what Jesus is doing. And he couldn't ignore them. Who is this man? about whom I hear such stories. Again, who is this human being? And Herod was not only puzzled, but he was drawn to Jesus, and he wanted to see him. Even a person of great power and authority couldn't help but wonder, who is this Jesus guy? The last example, near the end of Jesus' life, he enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. And the crowds were going nuts, praising him, laying palm branches on the road and shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Matthew 21.10 says, the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. In this defining moment for Jesus, where he's fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament coming Messiah and King, the whole city was electrified. The whole city was marveling at him, wondering who this man could be. From his closest friends to an enemy king, to the crowds of Jerusalem, people were stirred up as they encountered Jesus. Who is this? Who is this? And I fear for myself, I fear for us that we've gotten too familiar at times with Jesus as we read about his life in the Bible. We just kind of brush it off. Well, that was Jesus. Of course, Jesus would do that. Instead of being invited to once again be stunned, to be amazed, to be in awe and wonder 
of who he is, not only is fully God, but is fully human. Jesus was the perfect human. He was the portrait of what humanity should look like. And I love this quote from Dallas Willard. He cuts right to it. He says, when we see Jesus as he is, as he is, we must turn away or else shamelessly adore him. We must turn away and ignore him or give him our full attention and worship. My hope is that we would join together in marveling at Jesus by asking him, Jesus, who are you? Who are you? I want to know the real you. Show me again and again who you are. And I believe Jesus wants to answer that prayer for us. He wants to show himself to me and you. When we see him, we can't help but adore him. When we see Jesus as he is, we will grow to love him more and more. So my my first hope through this series is that we would experience a new sense of wonder and marvel an awakening love for Jesus. That we as a church would have a renewed passion to want to know, love, worship, and marvel in our leader, Jesus Christ. And the second big hope throughout this series is that we would believe again that Jesus wants us to become like him. As we marvel at Jesus together, our master, that we would embrace anew that Jesus wants you and I to become like him. If you're like me, you probably, you probably had moments where you wondered, what would it be like to be like someone else? I wish I could play quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. I know I said I wouldn't talk about him too much, but I'm bringing him back. To step on a football field and just to be in complete control and throw ridiculous passes. I wish I could dance like Justin Timberlake. This white boy cannot dance. I don't even know if Justin Timberlake can dance. That's how bad I am. I can't tell if someone can really dance. I wish I could shoot a basketball like Steph Curry. I wish I could sing like my wife, Yvonne Arns. She's a really good singer. I wish I could swim like Michael Phelps. I wish I could do home projects like those guys on HGTV. They do amazing things. I'm I'm not saying we shouldn't dream or have great aspirations. Young people, dream big. Never stop dreaming. But I'm old enough to realize I really don't have a chance with any of these. It's too late for me. As much as I would love to play football like Aaron Rodgers, what has been hitting me lately is that I have a better chance of becoming like Jesus than I do Aaron Rodgers. Sure, it would have been nice to play in the NFL, but what about becoming like the most amazing human being that ever walked this planet? What about becoming like Jesus And that's not a pipe dream for us. It's possible for you and I.
I know it's stunning. I know it's mind-blowing that Jesus wants you and I to become like him. I think we struggle to believe this, that this is possible, because we've lost the essence of what a follower of Jesus truly is. When Jesus came to this earth, he could have limited his ministry to mass communication, public teaching, preaching before great crowds, show up and give a big teaching and then go back into hiding. But Jesus also had very personal encounters and ongoing relationships with people. He invested himself in people. People like this man, Levi. Jesus' first encounter with Levi was so simple, yet so significant. Luke 5.27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Two simple words are recorded between this encounter between Jesus and Levi. Follow me. Those are the words that Jesus offered to people. Short and sweet, yet packed with so much meaning. Jesus is saying to Levi and to to all of us today, through these words, follow me, learn from me. I'm the master. Learn how to live from me, and also learn to become like me. Part of the essence of being a follower was learning to become like the master. It's not just imitating outward behaviors. It's becoming like Christ at the core of who you are as a person. Dallas Willard uses this term apprentice to talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he gives this definition. It's a little wordy. But he says, an apprentice of Jesus is learning from Jesus how to lead their life as Jesus would lead their life if Jesus were they. It's kind of a handful there. But he's saying that a disciple of Jesus is in this interactive relationship with him where Jesus is teaching me and you, how to live my current life, my real life, as if Jesus were me. Given our unique personality, our wiring, our circumstances, our context, Jesus wants to teach and train us through a relationship with him how to become like him. If you're a parent, maybe you can think about this through a parenting lens. As your kids grow up, you realize that they have their own personality, their own tendencies, their own quirks. You realize that your child isn't going to be a miniature version of yourself, even if there are some similarities. Your child will face different challenges and circumstances that you never had to face. And as a parent, you are trying to imprint on your child the essence of, of your core values and your priorities and to train your child to live in a manner that will reflect those values, that they will own those values in the core of their being and live them out in their own world. And this is what Jesus wants to do for us. Christ wants to teach us and to make us more like himself in the essence 
and character of who we are that will then shape how we live and respond in our worlds. And this is indiscriminate of personality type. It's not like only extroverts can become like Jesus. The first disciples were very different. You had fishermen and tax collectors. You had zealots. You had former prostitutes. You had bold and brash people like Peter. And you have people that seem to be more tender and gentle like John. Yet they were all called to follow Jesus, to learn from him, and to learn to become like him within whom God had made them to be. Maybe you're checked out right now. I want to invite you back in. Or maybe you're thinking right now, hey, Jared, you have no idea what my life is like. My history and the wounds and the pains. You have no idea who I am behind closed doors. My struggles and the battles I have to face. You have no clue what my temptations are. The difficulties I am facing right now that are very real and hard. And you're telling me that I can become like Jesus? This is a joke, right? Maybe that's what you're thinking right now. And it's not a joke. It's not a joke. And you're right. I do not know your full story. I don't know all the battles you are facing. But I know myself well enough. I know my own shortcomings. My own struggles. And how often that lie can seep in in my own life. There's no way you can become like Jesus. I just want to remind us, that is not the voice of God. That is the voice of the enemy who brings deception and condemnation and wants you to think it is impossible for you to become like Jesus. But God's word reminds us what is true. And I want to give us an anchor this morning that we can become like Jesus. It's 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I want to unpack uh, verse 18 for us for a moment. And you've got to remember, Paul is writing here to the Corinthian church. With, if, if you're familiar with First and Second Corinthians, the Corinthian church were a mess. They were very dysfunctional. A lot of struggles, a lot of issues. In verse 18, Paul writes, and we all, and we all, all of us together, all believers, Paul didn't say we except for so-and-so, we just the pastors and elders, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. And earlier he talks about the unveiled faces. It's those who have turned to Jesus Christ. All believers in Jesus Christ are what? Are being transformed into his image. Whose image? 
the Lord's image, in Christ's image. And this comes from Jesus Christ himself. So to summarize this text for us, all of us as believers today are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ by Jesus himself. That is what's true from God's word. Hold on to this truth against the lie that you can't become like Jesus. My hope for us as we go through this series together is that we would believe once again that we are called to become like Jesus Christ, our great master and leader. In our unique personality and who God's made us to be, in our circumstances and the challenges that we are facing, as we are pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is about knowing him and marveling at him. And it's also about becoming like him. And this is possible. And it's more than just possible. It's God's heart, God's intent, God's vision to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. As I close and lead us into a time of response and prayer, I want to mention there is a connection between what we marvel at and what we strive to become. When I was a little kid playing football in the neighborhood, marveling at Brett Favre, that's who I imitated when I played football in the neighborhood. And I really believe if we grow in our sense of awe and wonder of Jesus Christ, man, he's going to lead us to want to become more and more like him. And N.T. Wright says it like this. You become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. So I think the question to us as we begin this series is, will we marvel once again at Jesus Christ? Have we gotten so familiar and so used to who Jesus is that we've lost that sense of wonder and awe? And my hope is that God would put in us a passion, a renewed desire to see Jesus as he truly is. And next week we're going to begin looking at specific stories in the Gospels where we'll be confronted with Jesus' character and his personality. I think God wants to amaze us again at who his son is and invite us not only to worship and be in awe, but say, man, I want to become more like Jesus in my own life. And it's possible Jesus wants to make us more like himself. And right now as we close, I just want to lead us in a time of prayer and just surrendering to Jesus because I think there's some barriers and there's some obstacles for us. And the first thing I want to invite you just to lay down is man, maybe you've just grown so familiar with Jesus that you've lost that sense of wonder. That when you read your Bible or hear a sermon preached, it's, 
It's so easy to brush it aside. Well, that's, that's Jesus. But instead, to ask God for just fresh eyes and open heart to see Jesus as he really is. And I just invite you even now just to pray and just say, Jesus, I want to marvel at you again. Show me the real you. I want to see you as you are, and I want to worship you. Just take a moment and just invite you, wherever you're at in your journey with Jesus Christ, to pray that where you're at. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.